Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it very much. And again, we do welcome all of our guests and those online. Appreciate you being here this morning and uh, look forward to worshiping the Lord with you. And you're glad for a little bit of sunshine, I reckon, too. Huh? <laughs> It'll last until sometime this afternoon, and then there may be more rain yet. And I heard Angus saying all the tomatoes have been drowning, so I, I think mine are still in okay shape, so we'll see. But we've had a lot of rain. Don't forget, um, and I don't know if you saw it in the paper, maybe you missed it, uh, John Hess and his memorial service will be August the 4th. That's on a Sunday at 2 in the afternoon. And I'll continue to remind you, but it's coming up pretty soon. So uh, if you could be here, I know the family would appreciate that. And then don't forget the Bible conference coming up September 29th. And we've got a little preparatory work to do for that, so we'll be getting together here and meeting over that and things we need to do around the church here in preparation for that. <clears throat> I don't know of any other announcements I need to make. We didn't have the quarterly fellowship with um, uh, the other two churches because they weren't ready yet, so we just didn't do anything. So maybe that's a good thing for the summer, I don't know. But uh, I don't know. I'm wondering if we shouldn't just do something on our own here. Just a thought. Just a thought. Okay. We have been discussing over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about the, uh, the church age, the present age, and then the Bible's description of this age as a period that is evil, it's a time of darkness, and it's under the authority of Satan, the god of this age, and also the prince of the power of the air. If you'll turn to Ephesians, you might remember there in Ephesians chapter 1, we won't cover, of course, all the verses here, but just by way of reminder, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we saw that Christ was the head of the church, which is his body. And of course, in the chart that I handed out, we had this picture of Jesus and a box around it that was just to be representative of the church and his body and those who are members thereof. That is, those who have received Christ as their Savior, having believed the gospel, having been baptized by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into his body. He is now the head of the body. That makes him head over us. He is our authority. But we also saw just a couple verses below that in chapter 2 and verse 2 of Ephesians that Satan, the prince of the power of the air, or the authority, that word power, he is the present authority over this earth. He is a usurper. 
He has a throne here that doesn't belong to him. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ by way of his resurrection from the dead. And one day coming soon, he will assume that throne. And Satan himself will be deposed, cast down from that throne. And Christ will assume rule and authority over this earth. So consequently, these two authorities are in conflict with each other. They always have been and always will be until God fulfills and completes his plan. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, so if you'll just turn a page over for me. In Ephesians chapter 3, we want to talk a little bit more today about God's purpose and plan. How these things all fit together. And of course, there's no way, impossible to cover that in one sermon or even two or three or four. But we're going to look at some of the scriptures that describe for us God's purpose and what plan he is working out. In verse 11, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, it says there, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you may note that we've mentioned before that that word or phrase, eternal purpose, is a misnomer. Think about that. If God has an eternal purpose, and if we take the literal rendering of eternal as being endless, then that means God's purpose will never, never be realized. It will never come to pass because his purpose will go on endlessly. But that's not what the literal rendering is in the Greek. It's according to the purpose of the ages. According to the purpose of the ages which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that word purposed means, literally it means a setting forth. Which he put forth. It means to show publicly or openly. It's the same word that's used for the display of the showbread in the temple. They put the showbread out. They set it forth publicly. You know, out in the, the, the tabernacle or in the temple. And so what Paul is telling us here is that, well, of course, we'd have to go back and, and rehearse basically chapters 1, 2, and the, and the first part there of chapter 3 to catch the drift of Paul's message, which we will do in, a, in an abbreviated manner. But my point here is, is that God has a purpose of the ages, a plan on how to carry it out, bring it to fulfillment. Over in um, Hebrews chapter 1, you'll see another mention of this. Hebrews chapter 1 talks about a, a 
purpose or fulfillment. In verse 2, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the ages. Now, all that's telling us there is that he made the ages. He prepared them. If you turn to uh, chapter 11 and verse 1, and I guess we ought to do that. I wasn't going to, but let's turn there. Verse 3 says, Through faith we understand that the ages, not the worlds, but the ages were framed, that is, prepared or perfected by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So God is the one who has prepared these ages for a purpose. And then if you'll look, uh, well, let's, let's go on. I'm not going to belabor that. Um, I want to read Rotherham's translation of Ephesians 3.11. He says it this way, According to a plan of the ages which he made in the anointed Jesus our Lord. So if you'll look at that word, well, you see there there's the word purpose and the word purposed. They're two different Greek words, which makes it somewhat confusing for an English reader. And that's why he translates it according to a plan of the ages or a purpose of the ages which he made or carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Young's literal translation represents it in much the same way. He says according to a purpose of the ages which he made in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the point being then is that in this literal rendering here, that God has set forth a purpose or a plan for the ages. And he has made them and is going to carry that out and fulfill it. Now, um, earlier, Paul calls this a mystery. This present age. It, up in verse 4, in verse 3, 2, he says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other generations... Now see, there we have the word ages, but it's not the word for... The, it's not the word eon, for typically for ages. It's the word for generations which in other generations was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And that is this, that the Gentiles should be, and this is a very interesting verse here, fellow heirs, and that 
phrase of the same body as fellow members. And then the word partakers is fellow sharers. So we're fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow sharers of his promise in Christ by the gospel or through the gospel. Who is? The Gentiles. Whereof, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship or the partnership of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages... Okay, the word world there is ages, hath been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus. To the intent, or the Greek word henna there, in order that, now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now who would they be? Well, the angelic beings that are in the heavens. might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So all of this from God's plan of ages past is coming to pass at this very point. And it began with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and those who Preach the gospel, this gospel of this coming kingdom that will finalize, in a certain sense at least, what God has prepared and planned in ages past. And that's what Paul's telling us here then in verse 11. Through all of this preaching of the gospel about these things, of this mystery, that God is including the Gentiles with the Jews in the promises that he gave to Abraham according to the purpose of the ages which he made in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom, he says, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. I wonder sometimes today if we could say, well, we really do have that kind of that kind of boldness. Here we are in Ephesians 3:11. Just turn back two chapters to chapter 1 and verse 11 of Ephesians. Now, of course, back in verses 3 and 4, he talks about the blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, that we have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. In verse 11, he says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. So as a part of this plan of God's that he established, in ages past, it was that we would have an inheritance. 
An inheritance is a possession. It means ownership. It means something that can belong to you. And then he goes on to say, being predestinated. That is planned out prior to it happening by God. According to the purpose, well there we see that word purpose again. According to the purpose or the plan of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And that word counsel is often translated purpose as well. We're going to come back and, and, and visit that a little bit. But that first word, purpose, is the same word we saw earlier, setting forth. A plan. The last one there, counsel, has to do with your volition, your will. Something that you purpose to do. And so God has purposed, it says, who works all things after the counsel or purpose of his own will. So he is doing, you know, he's, God is not willy-nilly about creation. God has set something in motion and he intends to bring it to pass. And it's going to come to pass. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, we see another description of this idea of a purpose. In 2 Timothy 1, 9, it says there, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, that is, his own plan and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, I didn't turn over there, but I... That phrase, before the world began, is before the ages of time. It's chronos, time, and the word eon. It's before the ages of time. So God had a plan. He has put his plan in motion, and he's going to carry it out and fulfill it. And that ought to be an encouragement to you and I, who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, that what he has said he will do It's in motion. It is presently working its way out. And he is going to bring it to pass. You remember last week we talked about... um, I hate to get ahead of myself. But let me just mention it briefly at this point. That in the world today, Satan is working, energized... He is actively working out or actuating the world's system, the cosmos. But we also have God at work in us. 
And he is working in us to fulfill his plan. And that's important to know. So that we know that we have God on our side. He is for us. Let's continue to look at these. Um, In Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. So let's turn back there for a moment. Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. It's a well-known passage, I think, to most of us here. Uh, um, You remember beginning in verse 24, Paul says, None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, you remember, this passage here has to do with Paul meeting with the elders at Ephesus. That's the same elders that were head of the church of the letter, which we've just been looking at in Ephesians. And he's telling them that I have not... um, Well, he says that he's testified to them, rather, of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And that word counsel, again, is the word we looked at earlier that's the purpose of God. I have not shunned, I have not held back from declaring unto you all the purpose of God or the whole purpose of God, God's whole plan. Paul spelled it out to the church at Ephesus. So we have no excuse for not knowing and understanding what God's purpose and plan for us is and what he is intending to do through us individually and as a church as he moves along slowly towards the end of this age and brings all these things to pass. Now back to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. I see the book of Ephesians as a key and central book along with Colossians, but Ephesians in particular in understanding this because this is where God has given this to us. Back in verse 11... When we talk about God's purpose of the ages, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, or which he set forth, he set his purpose and plan of the ages out in public open view in Christ Jesus. That's what what this passage, this verse is telling us right here. Verse 12 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. I'm going to read all the way down to the end of this chapter here. Wherefore, he says, I desire or I ask 
that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Uh, it just struck me this morning. I know that it's like we've said time and time again. I've read this, I couldn't tell you how many times, but it struck me there. The whole family in heaven and in earth. God's family is in heaven and it's in earth, both places. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. You see, what Paul is moving to here is, now that you know the purpose and plan, that God would strengthen you and prepare you to carry out your part in this. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and it's by the faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he ends it with this climactic doxology. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We're going to come back to this verse in a little bit. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Now we've got to fix that. Number one, the word ages there again is not the typical word for ages. It's the word for generations. Same as it is up in verse 5. And then this phrase, world without end, is literally unto the age of the ages. So what am I trying to point out here that Paul is telling us? That the climax of God's purpose and plan is simply this. That throughout all generations, it is unto the age that is the messianic age of the ages of all the ages God has directed a purpose and plan that will be fulfilled in that age now um, Young's literal translation put it this way and to him who is able above all things to do exceeding abundantly what we ask or think according to the power that is working in us to him is the glory in the assembly in Christ Jesus to all the generations of the age of the ages that's the significant age the age of the ages and Rotherham mentions in in his translation, in a similar fashion, he says in verse 20, Now unto him who is able to do above all things, exceeding abundantly above the things which we ask or conceive, 
according to the power which doth energize itself within us. Unto him be the glory in the assembly and in Christ Jesus unto all the generations of the age of the ages. So to every generation, God's manifested his glory and his bringing about the fulfillment of his purpose, which will be climaxed in this age of the ages. What is it about all this then that should be so important to you and I and encouraging to us is this. In chapter 2 and verse 2 of Ephesians, we saw there That Satan, being the prince and the power in the air, of the air, he is described as the spirit that now worketh in the children, or the sons, literally, of disobedience. And we saw, according to our chart, or graph, that there is a distinction between the cosmos and Satan's working in the cosmos and his energizing of the activities of the cosmos, which is the world system, as opposed to God's working in his children who are in Christ. So if you'll look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 5, I want to pursue that for just a little bit. Oh, no wonder I got the wrong verse. I'm in, still in 1 Corinthians here. Didn't go far enough. Here you see that word worketh again. And you remember we said that came from that Greek word energeo, which if you saw it written down, you would say, well, that looks like the word for energy. And it's a very easy one. As a matter of fact, I did that to Sophie Perry the other night. I wrote that down and I said, Sophie, what is that English word does that look like? She looked at it and said, energy? Yeah. <laughs> It's an easy one. It looks like the word energy. Let's look at that verse. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which is our sinful passions, that which was driving us, which were by the law, did work or energize or activate in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So when we were... Without Christ, when we were walking in the flesh and according to the dictates of the cosmos, the world, and the dictates of our flesh, 
It did nothing but bring forth fruit unto death. Now, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 12. Here we see quite the contrary for what God is doing when he works in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 12. Now, of course, it's a very short verse and it doesn't make a lot of sense if we don't read what's before it so we catch the context of what Paul's saying. So let's begin with verse 8. Paul says there, we are troubled on every side. You know, I, I wrote the word pressured above the word troubled because that's, that's what he was talking about. He was under strain, under stress, pressured on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. Death, Paul says, works in us, us apostles, but life works in you or energizes you. And the word for life is the word zoe, which is that life that is always connected with the kingdom, the life that God gives by grace and will be experienced to the full by those who are members of his body and who are called out to participate in that coming kingdom rule. They will experience that Zoe life. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 will take us a little farther. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12 or 13. There Paul says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but, it at, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Energizes you. It is actively at work in you. And that's important to know. It's important to know that when we have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we have given due attention to His Word, that His Word is actively at work in us to prepare us for that which is to come. It's not the Word of men, He says, but it's the Word of truth. 
Now back again to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. We said we would come back to this verse. And now again we see Paul's summation of this. Where he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us or energizes us. The whole point of God's activity in us is opposed to Satan's activity, his energizing of the sons of disobedience. How then is God's spirit activated within us? Well, it's through our obedience, not our disobedience, but our obedience to him. To our obedience to his word. His word then is energized or activated in us. He is at work in us as we read his word, meditate upon his word, study his word, actively seek to be obedient to his word. He's at work in us. Keeping us and preparing us for what is to come. In Jude chapter 1, we don't see the, the word work there, but if you'll turn, turn back to the epistle of Jude, and of course there is only one, one chapter, so you can't get lost there. Another doxology. We went from Paul's doxology to Jude's doxology. He's, he's bringing his epistle, his letter, to a grand conclusion. And he says there, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That energizing spirit working in us God is able to use and do in order to present us faultless. That means without blame. I don't know about you, but I think that would be a great and awesome day to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at his judgment seat and the Lord has nothing to say against you. Blameless, faultless. And he says he's able to do it. Now, I know you and I, we look, we look within ourselves and we say, I don't see how that can be. But God's word is very explicit and clear for the person of faith that he is able to do that. And he will do it, I think, for a surprising number. He will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. 
or both now and to all the ages. You know, I don't think there was any mistake whatsoever that Jude's letter appeared right before the book of Revelation. That it's the last of the epistles. Because you see this grand climax both now and to all the ages. Because that's what that literally says, both now and ever, to all the ages. He is able to do this. He is able to present you faultless. In other words, you could read through the whole Bible. You could read through the whole New Testament. And you could read about all the faults and failures of many others that have gone before. And yet he says here he's able to do this. And do it without any blame. Without any pointing of a finger. And you remember that the Lord is no respecter of persons. It's not because he's going to have respect unto us because of who we are. It's all going to be because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in us as we seek to be obedient to him and walk with him. I want to conclude with uh, one verse from Isaiah. If you'll turn to Isaiah 46, and verse 10. Isaiah 46, and verse 10. Verse 8 says, Remember this and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel. That word counsel in Hebrew is, is purpose, just like the Greek word. My purpose shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God's purpose is sure, and it's going to stand. And he gives us the calm assurance that what he has planned out from ages past, he is going to bring to pass and culminate in that wonderful age of the ages, which we know as the millennial kingdom or the messianic kingdom of Christ, when the Lord Jesus will rule the earth and he is going to call forth all those who have been faithful and loyal and devoted to him to share in the blessings and benefits of that coming age. Yes, it will include for some a crown. It'll include for some rulership and sharing in that dominion. For some, it will be an inheritance. For others, there will be honor included and praise and glory and many things that we have no words to describe nor even understand what God has prepared in view of that coming day. He simply calls us forth 
to be loyal and devoted to him and the believing of his word and to know that the purpose and plan of the ages is as sure as the fact that God made the world and set it all in motion. You know, the world's view is that time just goes on, you know. There, there are no ages. Time just goes on, it, it, you know, it's st- steadfast. It just moves like this in a straight line. History just continues to roll generation after generation. And man's just going to continue to make the cosmos a better place to live. And through his inventions and through his devices in science and physics and everything else that he studies and medicine, that the world's going to get to be a better and better place. And we're going to do it, as the psalmist says in Psalm 2, we're going to do it apart from the Lord's Messiah. When the scripture plainly declares that it's only going to happen through the Lord's Messiah. And so it's doubly dutiful for us today to be as Paul said back there in Ephesians chapter 3. I said I was going to quit with Isaiah 46, but you know, it's doubly dutiful as Paul said in, in Ephesians 3. He's, when he's um, finished, as it were, speaking about his, God's purpose and plan for the ages, he says, I bow the knee. Verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it ought to do for us. That it, the whole idea, when you think about that, what God has done and what he is doing and what is yet to come, it ought to cause us to fall to our knees and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a knowledge, an understanding of what is to come and allowing me this great privilege of understanding the purpose of the ages. To me, it's very humbling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is so much more yet to come. So let us keep our minds and our hearts focused on Christ and allowing your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to give us what we need each day to live for you and to fulfill that which you've given us in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things. Amen.